what we read through the Old Testament is there were a lot of sacrifices. And many of them, uh, what people did is they took the best in their flock, like that lamb that was spotless. Like they, they had maybe like hundreds of sheep and they'll take the best one and they would sacrifice that to God. And they did it. Uh, there were a lot of t- t- different types of sacrifices, but the, they did it because it was like an atonement for sin. Now, what is atonement? And it really means to replace something perfectly something for something else. So I think of this analogy. Um, I, I see it in the movies. I don't really know if it's totally true. But like in the movies, there's a museum with, like, say, a very valuable, I don't know, I call it like a diamond or something. And the diamond weighs perfectly, let's say, one, let's say it weighs 1.45 pounds or something. And in the movies, the jewel thief will come in and they'll have something exactly weighing one point, whatever I said, four or five pounds. Because the pedestal upon which it sits is is it's got an alarm and it's weighted perfectly that if that weight just changes a little bit, the alarm sounds and the cages fall and the thief is caught, right? Well, in the movies, the way it goes is the thief will come in and they'll get like a perfect, if I had two hands, I'd do this. They get a perfect, uh, you know, 1.45 pound of something and they like, they do this, right? And they kind of like slowly balance it and so that the, the alarm doesn't go off and then they switch it, boom, and then they leave it and they take the real jewel and they're off and running. That's the analogy to me in my head, is that atonement is like the perfect offset for that thing. And so then the alarm doesn't go off, and, and that's kind of the idea. So today, we don't know many people, hopefully we don't know many people, who sacrifice animals for this purpose, because uh, it would be pretty messy, right? If there were altars everywhere, and there's like blood, and you know, animals are being sacrificed for sin and stuff like that. But I think you got to go back to the why. And the why is there this atonement needed for sin. You go back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis, and, it, and we, we learn that sin enters to the world through Adam and Eve, right? And at the very beginning of human creation, we learn that human beings sin, and they defy God. And as part of who we are, every single one of us is going to fall short of perfection. It's going to fall short of like being a sinless being. And it might sound a little bit harsh, right, to the humans, but I think that's true. We're not, we're not, it's not possible for any of us to live a sinless life. And sin is what separates us from God. And that's the point, I think, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and why maybe they put it as the, the first book in the Bible is because it establishes early on that humans became separated from God in the first place because of sin. So then how do we reconnect with God is, can we say it's a simple do-over, right? Like Adam and Eve, like, oops, you know, just wipe the slate clean and call it do-over. And, and, and what we find out, no, no. One characteristic we also see of this all-loving God is he's a, he's a just God. And by just, I mean that his character is perfectly sinless And being sinless means it would be a contradiction if he allowed sin into being with him. And so how does God bring a sinful thing into 
fellowship with him is atonement. And so trading the sin in us humans with the perfect atonement or the trade-off for the sin, there had to be something of equal value for all that junk sin that is embedded in human beings. And now we go back to Jesus. We go back to what he talks about, about glorifying himself in, in verses one through five, that instead of sacrificing something of great value for atonement ourselves, you know, like, hey, we're gonna bring this lamb, or, you know, I don't know what people would be putting up there in an altar today. What we find out is Jesus himself was the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins. The sins of past, present, and future is what Jesus is. He is, that's why we call him the perfect lamb. We call him as the one who was never sinless, and he was the one who was sacrificed to atone and offset for all that junk that's in us from the very beginning. And so for me, 24 years ago, that was my aha moment. It was like, oh, okay, I I get it now. When people say that Jesus died for my sins, I get what that means. And in fact, when when we read through the book of John, when Jesus spoke about this, and he said to his disciples that this was going to happen. He was going to die, and his, his body was going to be broken, and blood be spilled. They didn't know what he meant, and it freaked some people out. But we have the benefit of looking back now and seeing exactly what he meant, that he was there to atone for the sins of humanity. And I'm so glad I don't see messy altars all over Hawaii today because of Jesus. But the first reason why Jesus, if there already is a God, is that he is the atonement for our sins. The second section of John chapter 17 is that Jesus prays for his disciples, and this goes from verses 6 through 19. And there you will find the second reason why Jesus, and it's really this. If you look in verse verse 10, and 7 and 10, he says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And I think my interpretation of that, you guys, is like Jesus is the concrete representation of what could be an otherwise abstract God. Meaning that when you see Jesus, you see God the Father. You see, you know exactly who God is when you look at Jesus. And that, to me, is the second reason why Jesus. And I'm so thankful that when we wonder, like, who's our God? All we need to do is look at Jesus. Now, a third reason why Jesus, when, we, when there's a God, is because Jesus taught us the real truth. We know this, right? People like Moses and Joshua were called by God to be leaders, to teach the people, and to, to bring them forward. And... and Jesus is kind of a teacher of teachers. And in karate, they call this teacher of teachers the shihan, right? But Jesus is way more than a shihan because he is the word itself. He is the truth itself. He is the one who is the source, came from the source. And in verse 8, it says this, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. See, at this time, you know, there are religious leaders back then and there are religious leaders today that they distort the word of God. 
And if not for Jesus, I think we might still be living in this sort of rules-driven religious churches today. We might miss the whole point. In some ways, we might even be the ones who like go to the priest to intercede for us to have a relationship with God. It wouldn't be that we could pray to God directly. So when you contrast what Jesus is saying here with other religious teachers of history, you know, they might say, you know, the religious history uh, teachers will claim authorship of their teachings and they have special insights of the meaning of life and this stuff. But Jesus is super different, right? Because he's giving us the words of God the Father directly. And that's an important distinction. Reason number four, why Jesus? Because he protected people, he protects people from Satan and he demonstrates power in his name. In verse 11 and verse 12, he says, you know, as he's praying to God the Father, he says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. What's very clear here is the power in the name of Jesus. And it's the power to protect people and to protect the unity of God. And one of the things you'll know as a Christian is that it's not a safe thing to be a Christian. It's actually a spiritual battlefield to be a Christian. Um, and just like when you're in a spiritual battle, you're going to need protection from Satan. You're going to need protection when, when, when you get really close to following Jesus and walking exactly how he says to walk. You become a threat to the enemy who's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you become a threat to that, he's coming after you. But you can feel confident that Jesus is on your side. And when you invoke the name of Jesus, there's power in that. And so he came to protect us. He came to say, my name has power. And that's why we pray at the end of every prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Because in his name, there's power. It can be a dangerous thing to be a Christian. Not it can be, it is. <laughs> because when you're a threat, the enemy will come after you. But fear not. Because there's the name of Jesus. A reason five of why Jesus because he came to sanctify his followers. This is in verses 17 through 18. He says this. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My son Josh loves the word sanctify. <laughs> he goes, We're, you know, Tam and him are reading the book of John, and he keeps saying, like, sanctify, you know, over and over again. I don't, I don't know why he loves that word, sanctify. What does it mean? It's a tough one, right? Like, not, it's not a word we use very often, you know. Hey, sanctify, right? It means to set apart something as holy. To set apart 
as something as whole, that is holy or from God. See, what Jesus is talking about here is he gives his disciples um, through the word and their acceptance of the word, Jesus sets his disciples apart from the world. And in this way, they can be in the world, you can be in the world, you can be a good witness in the world, but you don't have to be of the world. You can be someone who, just by who you are, people go like, you know what, there's something different about that person. I was talking to Josh today and I, and on the way in, and I said, Josh, the, the, what I'm talking about here, because I know you love the word sanctify, if someone said, hey, you know that Josh, you know, if, if you want to see someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and loves God, you got to come to Mid-Pacific and you got to go check out who this guy is. And they don't know who you are, they've never seen you, and if they showed up and they, they were looking at all the kids in sixth grade, would they know who you are just by how you behaved? Would there be something different about you, Josh? He's like, no. <laughs> and I said, but that's what it means to be set apart. See, when I was, uh, you guys know the story. When I was in college, there was always something different by those Christians in college on campus. It's because they were sanctified. They were set apart. That when I saw them, to the extent that they were following Jesus, I was looking at Jesus, and that's what was different. So for us today, it's a challenge, right? Wherever you go on Monday, work, you know, you, you meet with clients, you go to school, you, you meet your doctor, you know, you, you go to the dentist, right? You talk to your parents, you know, the, te- the teachers of your kids, whatever the case might be, do they look at you and do they see Jesus? That's what Jesus is praying about, I believe. Now, section three, Jesus prays for all believers, right? This is verses 20 to 26. And reason six of why Jesus is because I think he needed to unify the body of Christ. See, it would seem that when you read the Bible, people weren't unified in their beliefs, right? You might even recall back in Moses' day, Moses himself struggled with this, right? He goes up to the mountain. He comes back. They're like building an altar of like an idol of, of, of a calf. They're, they're, they're worshiping some other false gods, right? He has to bring down 10 commandments to just bring them back into unity again. But I think this even goes on today. People have all sorts of these creative ideas of what is the true God. You know, even among some Christian churches, that can be tough, Right? And churches have different styles. They have sort of, you know, different ways. You know, some meet in school buildings. Some meet in, you know, very nice buildings. Some meet in golf courses. Some meet, you know, on the beach. But the one common denominator they all have, if they're Christian churches, is Jesus. And in verse 20 to 21, Jesus says this. He goes, I pray also for those who will believe in me through there, the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's a lot of 
in me, in you, in us, speaking to the unity between Jesus and God the Father, between his followers and Jesus. Jesus very clearly states that he's God and that we know as God, the creator of the universe is in Jesus and he in God and there is unity there. And Jesus extends the same unity to the entire body of Christ. That when people see a Christian, they're supposed to see Jesus. And when people see Jesus, they're also supposed to see God the Father. And when I read this again 24 years ago now, as I reflect on it, it was like, for me, like the light bulb went on. I was like, oh, okay, okay, I get it. Jesus was with God the Father and was sent by the Father to earth that we might see God in the flesh. And when we follow Jesus, the closer we are to him, the easier it is for others to see Jesus in us. And I think that's what Jesus is praying for here. And there may be, and that when there is unity in the body of Christ, the world will believe in Jesus. When there's disunity, it's difficult for people to see Jesus because it's too confusing. So I think when you see attempts at disunity in the body with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if there's something that's kind of wedging you between them, know that is not coming from Jesus. That's coming from the enemy. Because disunity divides us and makes it less clear what Jesus looks like. It's in unity that the vision is clearer. So when you go to wherever you go on Monday and through the weekday, what I'm not saying is to wear the Jesus patch on your sleeve, right? Rather, I think what Jesus is really praying about is the unity in Christ and it'd be alignment with what God is saying to us. That, you know, you see, for me, the alignment means I'm God's son first. Second, I'm a husband to Tammy. Third, I'm a father to my son, Josh. Fourth, I'm a son to my mom. And it goes somewhere down from there that I'm so-and-so working at this company, you know, doing this thing. But sometimes we get it reversed. And when we meet somebody, sometimes it's, um, I'm, you know, David, and I, uh, here's my title, here's what I do, and here's my company. And then I go back, and as they get to know me, then they start to know, oh, yeah, he has a mom. Then, oh, yeah, he has a family. Oh, he's married, and oh, he goes to church. It's kind of this reverse order. But what would happen if the ordering was flipped? that people knew first that you were God's son or you were God's daughter first. What would that look like during the weekday? In verses 22 to 23, Jesus prays, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He says in verse 23, right? I in them and you in me. 
so that there is complete unity, so that the world will know that you sent me. Unity in the body of Christ becomes witness to Jesus, who was sent by the Father. And so that God, people will know that God loves people. Unity is super important, you guys. That's what I see here, and it is of high value. The enemy will not stop to disunite the church. And whenever you sense this, this unity in your brothers and sisters in Christ, like there could be gossip, there could be sidebar conversations about this person or that person, disappointments and judgment, maybe even towards an elder speaking on Sunday or a pastor or someone working in ministry, check for a moment, where does that come from? Because that ain't from God, right? We know from Jesus that he's about unity, not disunity. And the consequences of disunity is you're not going to be as a church body able to witness as great as you could to what Jesus looks like and who God is. The seventh and final reason why Jesus is simply this, because he makes God known. He makes God known. He's the translator, so to speak, of that abstract God that is is not concrete sometimes to us to know exactly who is this God. But when we know Jesus, we know God the Father. And when we know Jesus, we know the love that God has for us. In verse 25 to 26, he says that he prays this, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And although Jesus prayed this thousands of years ago, this is still true today. The world does not know you, he says to his father, God the Father. Wasn't that true? There's so many people that we know today that just does not know God. They do not know Jesus. And our prayer should be the same prayer as Jesus, is that we make God known to people. And the love that he has for people should be known. So in summary, Jesus' prayer in chapter 17, again, like I was mentioning, is the most personally meaningful part of the Bible for me because of my history. It's what brought me into faith with Jesus. Um, I don't want to over-intellectualize it because I can't explain it. (laughs) But I hope that these seven reasons uh, resonate in some way where you are this morning. And that one question that we have to answer, I, I felt like I had to answer in order to embolden my faith is why Jesus if there already is God? And because of this, is I can answer just through John chapter 17, and there's many other ways you can answer that same question throughout the book of John and throughout the Gospels and throughout the entire Bible. But just in this chapter itself, it is jam-packed with the answer to that question as it was, I feel, for me. And the first piece is, There's seven, right? There's seven reasons. And the first reason is Jesus 
was the ultimate sacrifice and the atonement for sin. He is the concrete representation of an otherwise what could be an abstract God. He came to teach and bring truth because he is the word. In a world that there is a lot of not so good distortions of the one true God. He came to protect us from Satan and demonstrate there's power in his name. He impressed upon us the power and the need for unity in the body of Christ. He sanctified his followers. He sets us apart from the world so that we can be in the world and bring others to him. And finally, it kind of summarizes it all. He makes God known. Would you stand with me? We, we close in prayer this morning. So I don't know. Um, my faith and my, I, I trust that in some way, something this morning resonated with you and would spur you to some action. That there's something here in John chapter 17 that helps you answer that question better. Why Jesus? Our series is, Who is Jesus? Chapter 17 is, Why Jesus at all? Spoken from someone who was an atheist, um, here's seven reasons why Jesus. For someone who might be here today who is uh, thinking, I'm just um, thinking there's a God, but I don't know yet Jesus, um, maybe this is a message for you this morning. But I would invite you this morning, if you're someone who's like, oh yeah, man, that spoke to me, then today's the day, I would say, to accept Jesus into your life. So won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you know, we, we first of all, uh, thank you. We thank you so much that every time we open the Bible and we read that Holy Spirit, you're working through us. Every time that someone comes up here to speak, you're working in us. And we know that you say that your word never returns empty and that it sits on each of us this morning. And I want to pray for those people here this morning who might say, oh yeah, okay. Jesus is my Lord. I believe now he died for my sins. I get what that means. He had to die at all. Lord, we pray right now for those people who are making that commitment to you this morning. And we say, welcome. And Father God, this morning, uh, I want to thank you personally for what you did for me 24 years ago in a journey that continues even to today. And I pray for everyone's journey here this morning. That you would continue to sanctify every person here. 
we would be unified in our reflection of you. That people will know the one true God. And we say this with the power in Jesus' name. Amen.